The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Welcome to another episode of What Catholics Believe. I'm Father William Jenkins, priest in charge at Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. And in the past, I've talked uh, from an apologetics point of view about the false doctrines of Scripture alone being all the source of revelation and the thought of revelation, and uh, that we are saved by faith alone. Now, I'd like to talk about uh, another issue that's very practical, a very practical matter, and that has to do with modesty, especially how to try to inculcate a, a sense of modesty into the hearts and souls of our young people, our young ladies in particular. I've been talking to a number of moms, or I should say a number of moms have been speaking with me, and I've been listening to what they have had to say and uh, appreciating more and more the difficulties they have in trying to raise modest children, especially modest girls in the world today. And uh, I have a number of questions that they proposed on this matter of modesty and how to teach their young, uh, young daughters and uh, not-so-young daughters uh, not only to be modest, but to, to think modestly. So I thought I would uh, share with you some of the comments they made. I would like to start out, though, by laying down some principles. And the first <clears throat> principle I want to lay down is that parents have a, a responsibility from Almighty God. And that responsibility for the souls of their children is uh, their paramount responsibility. That is their vocation, the primary essential purpose for getting married and being married <clears throat> is to bring life into the world. That, that, is, that is Catholic dogma. Uh, the primary essential purpose of mar marriage and matrimony is to give life and to, to raise that life, to educate that life, to bring that, that uh, new human life up to maturity on its own so it can fulfill its own vocation in the world. Now, <clears throat> that responsibility uh, also, of course, comes with a corresponding authority. And parents have to use that authority to fulfill their responsibility. But it comes to a matter of modesty, then parents have to realize they're going to be answering to God someday for what they do and what they don't do, what they say, what they don't say, for the example they give, the example they don't give. They are going to be answering to God for what they have taught their children either by commission, by what they, they've done, and omission by what they have failed to do. It's a very grave responsibility. Teaching the children <clears throat> modesty is a grave responsibility for every parent. And the parents have to teach that by word and example. Now, uh, when I speak of modesty, remember, modesty as a virtue covers a lot of things. When we speak of modesty ordinarily in common parliaments, parlance, we think of the way we dress, whether we dress uh, in a provocative fashion or whether we dress in a way that uh, conceals what should be concealed. And uh, a modesty is much greater than that. As a virtue, it has to do with not making a spectacle of oneself, not making oneself uh, the center of attention. Um, it has to do with uh, a, a certain uh, retired or a certain retired approach to life, so that we are not uh, forward and uh, and uh, placing ourselves on a pedestal for all to admire, to attract everybody's attention, to attract everybody's admiration. Um, therefore, from that point of view, even somebody very famous and wealthy could be modest in the sense that he might even be embarrassed by all of the attention he receives, all the praise he receives, because he knows that all of the praise and the attention should be directed to God. And somebody who has a real sense of modesty, if he does happen to find himself in the limelight, he tries to direct that attention beyond himself to Almighty God as an act of adoration and thanksgiving to God. 
But uh, certainly the idea of modesty and dress as being a, a very large part of the overall question of modesty really does apply, as you can imagine, because uh, young people, especially girls, can uh, use this uh, attractiveness that they have, a natural attractiveness, in order to draw attention to themselves and in order to draw what they consider to be affection to themselves. They can use it almost as a kind of weapon. And uh, in pride, they can use it to show off. Uh, they can use it even in terms of rivalry to try to uh, vie for attention with other girls. So this natural attractiveness that God has placed in them uh, can be very ill-used. And uh, the virtue of modesty is meant to be a safeguard against that. It is not only meant to be a safeguard for their own souls, but it is supposed to be a safeguard for those who would be naturally attracted to them. That attraction has been placed there by God. It's a good thing. It's a very natural thing. It is meant to draw a man to a woman. It is meant to draw him to her and to see in her someone he really wants in his life. He sees in her someone, not something, but someone who is beautiful, and he sees that she adds such a quality and such a dimension to his life that he doesn't really want to live without it. I mean, you have to remember that one of the most precious things to a young man is his liberty. And uh, from the moment he's born, he, he is trying to gain more and more liberty. Uh, from the time we're a little baby in the bassinet, we, when we can do nothing for ourselves and have no li liberty, but no responsibility either, we try to grow and grow to the moment we can, <clears throat> we can turn over and with the moment that we can start crawling and then we're mobile. <clears throat> the moment we can stand, the moment we take our first step, uh, ride a tricycle, uh, get the keys to a car. We're going through all of these years and gaining more and more liberty and hopefully responsibility as well. And then <clears throat> there has to be such a powerful attraction for a young man to a young woman that he's willing not only not to throw that liberty away, which is so precious to him, for which he would fight to the death, but he invests that liberty in uniting with her in the great vocation of giving and raising human life. If that is his vocation, to be a married man and a husband, he has to find in a woman, therefore, not just something desirable, but a person who is needed, he sees is needed in his life. He doesn't want to live without her. He may have to, <clears throat> but he, he would rather take all of that liberty and his energies and, and the life, lifetime he has ahead of him and share it with her <clears throat> and create something greater than she, he could be on his own. And that is a husband, a father, the head of a family. And for that, he, he needs her. He finds a woman he loves on all levels, intellectually and emotionally and physically. He finds her attractive, but above all, hopefully spiritually, he finds in her a certain quality that he knows is calculated or is designed to bring the best out of him, to make him the best man he can be, to help him to become the best father he can be, the best husband he can be, the best Christian gentleman he can be the best Catholic he can be. He wants a woman who can do this for him. Now, we have to understand that this has to do not with a woman merely being female. You don't have to teach a woman to be female. And although nowadays, maybe there is a question about that because of the perversion and the perverted state of, of the modern mind. But naturally speaking here, naturally speaking, I'm not talking about our technology and how we can use it to make monsters. I'm talking, and I use the monster in the sense of the monstrari. Monstrari, a lot when you kind of a, a showpiece, kind of a uh, uh, <clears throat> something you put on display because it is just something so unusual and out of the ordinary and unnatural. And that, and that's, I mean, monster in that sense, <clears throat> a showpiece. I'm talking about the what is natural in the world as God created it. And as God created it, we find that what is natural and normal is male and female. And they don't have to be trained or, or taught to be male and female. They are male and female. And uh, this is God's design. And uh, what you do have to teach a girl is not to be female. What you have to teach her is to be feminine. To be feminine. This is something psychological. This is something of the human soul, to be feminine.
is a quality of soul. It's even a quality of, well, a quality of spirit. And it affects the mind, the intellect, the will, the power of loving. It enables her to know as a woman knows, to understand as a woman understands, to love as a woman loves. Because that's what a man really wants. That's what he really needs. He doesn't just want, uh, you know, there are friendships among men where men, quote-unquote, love men as friends. And that's fine. That's perfectly normal. The Greeks had four different words for love to express the love of friendship as opposed to the love of, uh, let's say, another spiritually, as we would love God, and uh, a love that would bind a man and a woman together. And the, uh, the love that binds a man and a woman together, though, is the fact that a man loves as a man loves, and a woman loves as a woman loves. A woman wants a man to love her as a man loves a woman, and a man wants a woman to love him as a woman loves a man. There's a special love that God has designed to draw them together and to bind them together, and to make their relationship, their mutual loving relationship, fruitful in bringing forth a new human life, like a whole world, a new creation, a new soul in God's image and likeness, for which he not only will have to invest his creative power, but for which he will have to die, for which he will have to suffer uh, for the sins of that new soul. We have the power to demand from God the creation of that new soul. God has given us that power. It is a tremendous power we have. And we have to treat it with great respect and great reverence and not make a mockery of it. Treat it as a plaything for our own amusement, as so many do today. So a woman, as she's becoming a woman, has to come to appreciate the meaning of what it is to be feminine, not just female. Because if she presents herself to the world, if she presents herself to men as just female, then this is exactly what is going to awaken mere lust and passion. And that drives a man to want to consume and devour her and then throw away the bones. Because he doesn't think of her as a person. She's just a female, practically just a thing. And when women promote this image of themselves to men by the way they act, the way they speak, the way that what they wear, there are going to be very dire and destructive consequences because she's going to find men who are more than willing just to see her that way as nothing but a female. And they will not respect her any more than she respects herself. But why should she expect them to respect her any more than she respects herself? But if she prevents herself in a different way, if she presents herself as feminine, now she presents herself as a person, not just a thing, not just a, like a pork chop in the refrigerator that a man goes to when he feels hungry and then discards what's left over. No, 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 a woman who presents herself as a, in, in a feminine way emphasizes the fact that she's another person. Different from him, like to him in many ways, but different from him in very substantial ways. But in ways that he feels he has a need for this in his life. A man who sees a woman who is really feminine respects her. He admires her. He almost has a kind of worshipful respect for her. Because he sees her as a, as a person who in, in many ways ha is superior to him in many ways. Superior in her in her insights and superior in her her loving. In other words, he sees that she offers she offers powers and strengths that he himself does not have, and that he values very highly, and he wants in his life. He wants her perspective, and he wants her love. A man who sees a woman as nothing but a female because that's how she presents herself thinks in terms of taking and gratifying himself. But a man who sees a woman who presents herself as feminine does not see her as something to be taken and used. He, he sees himself as at her service, like the knights used to do with the ladies who were quintessential in being feminine. They were the real feminists, not these mockeries of feminism, these anti-feminists we have today. They were the real feminists who knew the power of, of the feminine as God made feminine to be. And uh, 
They had great power. I mean, for them, their knights in Shining Arbor would dash off to slay fire-breathing dragons uh, just to prove themselves. They wanted the love of this woman. They wanted to prove themselves to this woman as worthy of her love. We don't find that often today anymore. And part of the reason is because we don't find many men today who are really men. And part of the reason is because we don't find many women who demand that they be men. Um, men in a world we're always looking up to, uh, wanting to um, uh, prove their valor, their strength as men, their courage, uh, their wisdom, their prudence, and all the rest uh, that comes with manhood. They want to establish this to win the love of a worthy woman whom they admire. Well, women have given away that tremendous power they have. They've forfeited that. And it's a terrible loss for the whole world. And now you have females raising nothing but females, like a pack of wolves. What a tragedy. And so mothers and fathers need to teach their girls what it is to be feminine, not just female, but to be feminine in their outlook. And to realize that there's great power in that. There's divine power in that from Almighty God, who has designed them this way and given them the strengths that men by nature do not necessarily possess, uh, an ability to understand and to, well, even a woman's intuition, <clears throat> that is a real strength that a man, a real man admires, loves, and wants to be part of his life. Not in the sense of devouring her, but for the sake of actually giving of his manhood and his strength and his courage and all of that, devoting it to her and his family, through her to his, all of his children, to his whole family. We need to recover that. There should be studies on that. I'm sure there have been. Um, I don't know how many in the world today would even understand them anymore, but there are definitely some who would and who crave that because they know that something is wrong, seriously wrong, and they perhaps don't know where to start. Unfortunately, in the past, a, a, a mother and a father would be able to look to the church. They'd be look to their priests. They'd look to their bishops to teach them. And God forbid that they should learn from some of their priests and their bishops now with the Novus Ordo. <clears throat> They've lost all sense of this. And uh, so we have to look back to the examples of the saints of the past now. For examples of what it really is to be, not just male, but to be masculine. But not just to be female, but to be feminine. <clears throat> and show how there was no one more masculine than the, the men saints. We Catholics honor at their altars because God has honored them. There's never been anyone more feminine than our lady saints. <clears throat> who grace the altars and we honor them because God has honored them. And they have honored God. And so we need their examples today, as perhaps never before. But let me get to some of these questions here. Uh, here's a question. Along with the standards need, we need to make our focus on the underlying causes of immodesty. Whether it be vanity, a lack of confidence to be different from the crowd, convenience or laziness in buying only what is on the shelf, uh, comfort or any other uh, self-serving uh, purposes or reasons why a girl would resort to a modest dress. And perhaps just basically not having the fortitude to require better options for herself or if she's a mom, for her daughters. Well, this is a serious issue, of course. You know, when you talk to young ladies about what they're wearing, <clears throat> they they can come up with all kinds of reasons why this is perfectly fine. They say, first of all, well, what I'm wearing is a lot more modest than Penelope. And they, they say, okay, <clears throat> Penelope's dress is far worse than mine, and I am far more modest than she is. Um, so that's one of the excuses girls will give. But you parents, remember, you're smarter than your children. You better be. You've had a lot more experience. You have more years, and you have more graces to show for your life, you have to answer for these things, so you have to be smarter than your children. Your children should be able to look to you for answers they don't have. 
One of the first things you have to do is straighten out the questions. If, if they, most of the things that they answer you will be off the track. And so if you start bickering with them, it's going to be bickering about what the point that they're making uh, without, let's say, rephrasing what they're saying and, and making it right, the right question, you're going to get lost. You're going to be as lost as they are. So when your daughter tells you, well, I'm a lot more modest than a lot of the other girls are, well, you have to uh, not question and argue with them whether they are more modest than the other girls. That's not the question here. The question is, rather, does that make them modest? Just because they're not as immodest as the other girls. And you can even ask them, well, if you told me, Mom, I'm modest because I don't lie nearly as much as the girl next door. Or, Mom, I'm modest because I don't steal nearly as much as the other girls do. Or, Mom, I'm hardworking because I'm not nearly as lazy as the rest of them. Or, Mom, I uh, don't uh, curse and swear as much as the rest of them, so I really have a pretty good vocabulary. Well, what kind of standard is that? to use? Would you want your daughters using that status? Is that the standard you want them to use? <clears throat> They're just not as immodest as the next person, so they must be relatively modest? I mean, they would understand that if you told them that, honey. I mean, if you lied five times and the girl next to you lied ten times or twenty times, <clears throat> you would never say to me, well, I only lie five times when the next girl lies twenty times, so I must be honest, right? And the answer is no. And so why would it make you modest just to be not quite as immodest as the person next to you? You're still both immodest. It's just a matter of degree. It's still immodesty. It's not acceptable. That's not, that's not a good answer. <laughs> okay? <clears throat> it's not even a good question. Aren't I more modest than the girl next door? <clears throat> you say, you, what you're really saying is, aren't I less immodest than the girl next door? And the answer is, maybe so, but you're still immodest. By your own admission. Now, there, there are other things, too. Uh, in this question, they talk about vanity, girls wanting to show off. I mean, uh, St. Teresa of the Child Jesus uh, writes about her early childhood. She even talks about the day when she was five years old. She said she thought of herself as being very pretty and very attractive, and, and uh, people would compliment her about how pretty she was, and it went to her head at the age of five. <clears throat> And she said she liked to be kind of daring in those days and have bare arms. Now, you talk about that these days and, and people laugh at you and people would laugh at her. But the fact is, in those days, that was not, a, that was not usual for women to go around with bare arms. <clears throat> it was considered to be a little edgy and provocative. And even as a five-year-old, she liked to walk around with her sleeves up here and showing her arms because she thought <clears throat> that that offered a little view of more flesh than you'd see in your standard girl. <clears throat> and she said her mother would never tolerate that. Her mother rebuked her and uh, would not let up on that, would not give in and insisted that she dressed properly. And uh, because, and later on, so even St. Teresa of Lisieux says she is so grateful to her mother after that for having refused to give in to that vanity on her part because St. Teresa realized it wasn't really an issue of whether her sleeve came to here or here or here or here or here. It was a question of the vanity behind it. She, as a little girl, had that vanity. And she thanked her mother for not giving into it because she said if her mother had allowed her to be vain and stoked her vanity, that she could have wound up going to hell. St. Teresa, the child Jesus, one who the, the, saint, the Pope who canonized her called the greatest saint of modern times, says that if it weren't for this issue and her mother's steadfast opposition to, and would not give in to that little bit of vanity in her part, that she could easily have gone to hell. <clears throat> we need to keep that in mind. If vanity is the reason, we need to identify it. And, and, and in identifying it, we need to make sure that our, the girls aren't, aren't using their bodies as bait. <clears throat> that's what vanity is. For the men, that's what it is. <clears throat> Don't let them do that. Or even fear. This question asks, are they fearful of not blending in with the crowd? Well, again, you know, you have a very important point to make to your girls here and say, sweetheart, you're telling me you have to wear these clothes to blend in with the others. 
Honey, I don't want you to blend in with the others. I'm afraid of you blending into the others. I don't want you to want just to blend in with the others. <clears throat> there are certain things you have to get used to. You cannot blend in with each others, each other, and if you do, if they go to hell, you'll go to hell with them. <clears throat> now, this is wrong. You have got to get used to the idea right now that there are certain ways you have to be different, and you have to be strong enough to be different, and be different without apologies, and be different without fear, and be different without embarrassment. To be actually glad and thankful to God, you are and can be different in the things that God himself wants you to be different in. So, again, you know, parents who just listen to these excuses from the girls and just either agree or, or just give in are encouraging the girls something that will eventually cause an enormous amount of damage in their souls. They're teaching them things they don't want the girls to learn. That, above all, blend in. Above all, go along. Above all, go along to get along and to be accepted. That that is the one thing that you have to have foremost in your mind. That's the last thing you want to be in their mind. <clears throat> again, convenience, laziness, comfort. Again, here you go. Do you want your girls to be growing up with the idea that comfort is the only thing that matters? Well, there are some people that say, I'm more comfortable not wearing anything, I might say. Okay, is that what matters? There are people who have all kinds of ideas of what comfort means. Is that the absolute value? Do you want to endorse that way of thinking in your girls that comfort is the one thing that matters to you when you dress? Or do anything else for that matter? God forbid. Now, you'll be raising girls who are totally unmarriable, uh, who should never become mothers themselves. Um, you're raising girls who are just uh, like accidents waiting to happen train wrecks in the very process of happening. And you're going to live to regret this in a very short order if you endorse these ways of thinking in your daughter's minds. Remember, <clears throat> when you're talking about a question of hem length or sleeve length or whatever else, you're not talking about fabric. You're talking about the fabric of their minds. You're talking about how they think. You're talking about their mentality, their mind, their virtues, their attitude. That's what you're addressing. You're trying to give them a, a number of principles to live by. So it's not really about merely a matter of a half inch here or there, although that can be very significant. It's a matter of giving them to understand a fundamental principle and reality of right and wrong. Now, there are other <clears throat> questions here. What about the argument that modesty is an attitude and that it is most important to have an interior modesty? Uh, in other words, a girl who says, Mom, <clears throat> yes, okay, uh, I'm wearing these clothes, but in my heart of hearts, I'm very modest, okay? I, I respect myself and I demand that others respect me. And if I wear these clothes, um, it's, it does not indicate in any way a fact that I am not modest, because modesty is a, like a disposition of the soul and a mentality, and I have the mentality of modesty. Well, I don't know how many girls come out with that, but nowadays it's possible that girls came out with that idea. I mean, after all, the Novus Ordo made the changes <clears throat> and said, well, let's not expect them to do this and expect them to dress well when they come to church, because after all, it's what's inside. It's their, it's their soul that counts. We can't judge them when they come in shorts and flip-flops to to church, um, we can't emphasize that as though that were the primary concern we have about how they dress. It's what's in their souls, and God knows what that is. So as long as they come, let them come any way they want. It's a come-as-you-are party at the Novus Ordo. <clears throat> we don't judge. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to find even young girls using that argument because it's been floating around with the Novus Ordo for years and years, and you go to a Novus Ordo liturgy, which I hope and pray you don't, but if you do, you're going to find it's a real zoo of what people wear and don't wear and how they dress. They wouldn't even go to a party down the block wearing some of this stuff. They wouldn't be caught dead even going to a public event like a, uh, a dinner or a ball game, wearing some of the, dressed in some of the ways they do going to their Novus Ordo liturgy. Um... This is just the mentality today that the Novus Ordo has fostered even among would-be Catholic people. But how do you answer that? You say, look, <clears throat> your outward 
dress is an expression of what you have inside. And if you are content to wear this, you are not inwardly modest. There's a, there is a breakdown between what, uh, how you express what's, what's, what's in your heart outwardly and what should be in your heart inwardly. I'm telling you, if you will dress like that, you are not modest inside. You do not have an attitude of modesty. Quite the contrary. Just tell them that it's a false, it's an entirely false argument to say my outward display of dress has nothing to do with how I feel inside. Tell them I'm sorry, but then you're schizophrenic. And I don't have a schizophrenic daughter. I'm not going to have a schizophrenic daughter. And if, if you are going to dress that way, I'm going to recognize that as an indication of how you think and how you feel. And your dress outwardly is not modest, and inwardly you are not modest in the way you think and the way you feel. <clears throat> because if you did, and you looked in that mirror right now and saw yourself, you'd be horrified. You'd be embarrassed, mortified. You'd run to your room, lock the door, and, close, and change your clothes. And you'd throw those clothes away. This is part of the problem, you see. <clears throat> the parents allow the girls to keep the immodest clothing in their closets, so of course it's going to keep coming out. Of course. <clears throat> anyway. <clears throat> and that goes to the third question. Should I allow girls living in my home to purchase their own clothes? I say, yes and no. <clears throat> At first, no. At first, you have to buy their clothes for them because you have to teach them how to dress. When they've learned how to dress, and you can trust them to buy the right clothes, modest clothing, then yes, let them go and buy their own clothing. But not before. Let them prove gradually that they can make the right choices of what to buy and what to wear. <clears throat> and then, when you can trust them to make the right choices and choose modest clothing, and that's what they're going to buy, that's what they're going to bring home, that's what they're going to hang in their closet, and that's what they're going to put on, <clears throat> then let them do that more and more. But if you try, when they get to be a certain age, and let them buy, but I would, I would suggest this, don't just send them out to buy something and see what they bring home. When you take them shopping for clothing, you teach them why you're buying this and why you're not buying that. It's your money, not theirs, when they're six, seven years old. And you tell them why you're making those choices. And then when they get to be 16 or 17 years old, somewhere between the time they were 6 and 7, the time they were 16 and 17, you needed to start, when they were shopping together, asking them what they think and asking them to pick something out. And if it's not right, tell them that it's not right and know they're not buying that. But let see what kind of decisions they would make, little by little. And the more they make the right decisions the more confidence you have that you can let them make the right decisions until finally, hopefully, by the time they get to be a ripe old age of 13 or 14, they know what to buy and what not to buy, the difference what's modest and what's not modest. And you might even be able to trust them to go off and buy a shop on their own. One thing's for sure, though, if they bring home something immodest, don't let them keep it. Take that back. Get it out of the house. Don't let them hang it up in their closet. Don't let them wear them in the, in, the, in the house. Don't let them wear them outside of the house. If they have brought home immodest clothes, hold that line while you can. Uh, no matter what the girls say, you have to hold the line because you have to show them that you're serious about this. Now, number four uh, is another question. Excuse. The excuse that the focus is always on the girls and not on the boys. Okay, well, sometimes you hear this from the young ladies, too. Well, you never talk to my brother that way. You never talk to, you know, his friends that way. You never talk about guys that way and what they're wearing. You only talk about the girls, always the girls, always me and my sisters. We're always the ones who are being criticized for what we wear, what we want to wear. We're always being dictated to as what we can wear and what we can't wear. Why is it always the girls? Well, uh, for one thing, uh, the guys so-called fashions these days um, can be as bad as the girls right now with these very tight things they're wearing, uh, walking around shirtless, walking around with uh, shorts all the time, walking around with very tight uh, pants on. 
Yeah, the guys too have been feminized. Uh, you know, so much of the advertising now is about how guys look, you know, and they, their hair, you know, they have to have their hair looking really sharp. I think the Fonzie and Happy Days brought that on, that they had to have this image of themselves. And it's so, it's so effeminate. I mean, when did guys walk around like that, you know, like peacocks? Come on. That's, that's a sickness in the men's mind. I never knew men back then to be, uh, you know, looking in the mirror, primping themselves. Uh, they, they, they looked like some sort of a cupid doll. <clears throat> but now you've got to be Barbie and Ken, it seems. The, that's a sickness in the male mind, and it's a, it's, it's a breakdown <clears throat> toward what we have today and the feminization of the man, making the man effeminate. Um, now, the man can come across as the caveman. That's the other extreme. He doesn't care what he looks like or how he smells or anything like that. That's not good either. And so a dad has to teach his sons to have, some, have self-respect also. <clears throat> there is no doubt about it that the, the men need to be taught modesty. But modesty with the men generally takes a different tack <clears throat> because that has to do with make, men make, boys making themselves presentable <clears throat> and not just uh, not caring about how they look at all or how they, how they act or anything like that. Modesty has to do with keeping the boys from making spectacles of themselves or making uh, um, uh, showboats out of themselves. That applies in men's dress too. But with women, there is definitely a tendency to show themselves off. <clears throat> to show themselves off uh, in order to attract a man because the attraction of a man for a woman is not the same as the attraction of a woman for a man. <clears throat> when a woman is attracted to a man, she's attracted to him <clears throat> uh, on the physical level, yes, somewhat, but much more on the psychological level. She's attracted to him much more as a man than she is as a male. <clears throat> Unfortunately, a man can be attracted to a woman much more as a male <clears throat> is attracted to a female that as a man is attracted to a woman. That attraction in a, a man finds for a female is very powerful. And it's a very different attraction than a woman for a male, towards a male. And women have to accept that because it is a, it is a very serious responsibility that they have. It's just the way it is. They have to accept that. And I would say to a girl who says that, why is it always the girl? Why not the guy? Why don't you focus on the guy and what he's dressing? I would say, look, <clears throat> you know, you're, you're, you're bringing up this, this, this argument here, and it reminds me of what I hear from time to time, <clears throat> where a girl will say, why should I have to dress <clears throat> uh, according to what's, what he needs, okay? Why should I have to take consideration him and his weaknesses? Why should I have to dress in consideration of a man's prob problems or weaknesses. I should be free just to dress any way I want. Their problems are their problems. It shouldn't have anything to do with me. It shouldn't have any effect on me. It shouldn't exercise any constraint or restraint over me and what I do, what I say, how I act, and how I dress. <clears throat> now, as a mother, you hear those words coming from your own daughter's mouth, and you begin to think, oh my goodness, I've created a monster. <clears throat> now, why would you say that? Because as a mom... But a dad, too. A dad would think that perhaps even more. Why? Because he knows how men are. He understands the male psychology. And he knows, and she, mom knows, that if their son brought a girl home who was dressing, maybe like their own daughter's dressing. If their son brought a girlfriend home who was dressed that way, and mom and dad said to her, you know, uh, you know, Penelope or Bertha, we really, we like you, you know, we, we're, we're happy to meet you, and uh, our son Robbie likes you, and we can see that, so there must be a lot of good in you, because you rated our son right, and he appreciates good things, and he must see in you goodness. But the way you're dressing really is provocative and even dangerous. And so we really, really want you that if you and Robbie are going to be friends, that you be more respectful of him and yourself and be more careful in the way you dress and dress more modestly. 
Now suppose your son's girlfriend came back with this. <clears throat> Are you kidding me? <clears throat> Am I supposed to change the way I dress because your son is a guy and he has a problem and he is given to dirty thoughts or lustful thoughts and uh, <clears throat> and he looks at the way I'm dressed? Uh, why should I have to go out of my way to accommodate him and his male psychology and all of its weaknesses and so on. Uh, no, I'm not going to change. Why should I change for yours, for your son? Why should I change anything about myself and the way I live and the way I dress for your son? Let him get used to me and accept me as I am. Now imagine a father or mother hearing a would-be boyfriend or girlfriend especially saying that to them, saying... I'm not going to change because of your son and his needs. He's just going to have to deal with me as I am. So you think, okay, this is a girl whom he wants to see, possibly date, possibly engage, and possibly marry. And right from the get-go, she's saying here, I'm not going to change anything about my behavior to accommodate him. I'm basically not going to do anything for him. He's going to have to deal with me, and that's the way it is. She has shown not only a complete lack of a sense of modesty, she doesn't even know the meaning of love. Because love appreciates the other person and the things and how they affect them. How things they do and they say and wear affect the other person. And because they love that other person, they will do nothing to hurt that other person. And they will go miles out of their way rather than hurt or offend or tempt the other person. Because they respect this other person not just as a piece of meat, <clears throat> as a body, they respect this other person as a person. <clears throat> and the girl respects the boy as a boy. The, girl, the woman respects the, the man as a man. And she has a certain consideration for him. If she found that she was exercising a bad influence and having a bad effect on him by what she was doing, if she loved him, she would definitely change. She would want to change. She wouldn't have this added this spiteful and spitful attitude, saying, how dare you want me to change the way I dress because your son might be, find me provocative, dressing like a streetwalker. <clears throat> That's his problem. No, I'll tell you, I would say this, if he continues seeing her, it is his problem. She is his problem. <clears throat> Even he, the boy, should say, man, with an attitude like that, I wouldn't want to be anywhere around a woman like this. Certainly would never think of marrying anybody like this. <clears throat> So why would he even want to be, what kind of friendship of that is that? <clears throat> you as a parent would be horrified to hear a girlfriend or even a boyfriend of one of your children with an attitude like that. So if your own daughter is expressing that attitude about the way she dresses, why should I have to dress any differently because these boys look at me this way? <clears throat> She's got a very serious problem of selfishness. <clears throat> and a pride and arrogance and obstinacy, stubbornness. And any boy who, who, who uh, dares uh, getting emotionally involved with her is going to hurt her very badly and is going to get hurt very badly too. Because the way she's presenting herself, she has no respect for him. And the only kind of boy who'd be attracted to that is a boy who has no respect for her. So you parents, be on the lookout for that attitude, even in your own daughters. Well, I'll tell you what, there's quite a bit more here. I've already gone a ways down. The best thing to do, I think, is to save the rest of these. Uh, to, get the, to save the rest of these questions for a little later. Uh, let me, as I look at number five here, let me just take number five, and then this will be exactly the halfway point in the questions I have here. So I'm going to do a part two later on. And number five is this. To get our young girls to dress modestly seems attainable, especially with the support of other moms. <clears throat> but is trying to turn that around with our older girls too big a task and risking hurting our relationship with them? So there are actually two questions here. One is, to get the younger girls dressing modestly, yes, we can work on this. We can begin forming 
modesty in their minds, their hearts, their souls right now. We will not allow our two-year-olds to run around in skimpy outfits and then expect that by five or six they're going to have a sense of modesty. Modesty is a sense as a habit, even more they understand what modesty is, you teach them what modesty feels like, what modesty looks like, even when they're two and three-year-olds. You have to teach them this. You can't let them run around both exposed to the world when they're two, three, four years old and then suddenly try to put clothes on them when they get to be seven, eight, nine, ten years old. They have to learn the habit of modesty, a sense of modesty in the brain. This happens long before they reach the age of reason. So, yes, with younger girls, they can be taught a sense of modesty. And the, you need other moms that you associate with who have other children your child associates with to support you in this. So that you don't have a girl coming along who might be 9 or 10 saying, but Penelope's mom says it's okay, and Bertha dresses like that, and that's perfectly okay, mom. I mean, why are you so different? Uh, why can't I dress like the other girls do? They're good mothers. Are you saying they're bad mothers? And they have all these questions that put you on the spot. <clears throat> you need mothers who will support you, who will stand up with your standards, and they can't go pointing to somebody else and saying, but look at them and look at them, and they do things differently, and try to divide and conquer. Even if they did that, <clears throat> even if they were to raise that question, but Bertha's mom lets her do that, you say, well, <clears throat> I'm not Bertha's mom, I'm your mother. And Penelope's mom isn't your mother. <clears throat> She's Penelope's mother. I'm your mother. I have the responsibility. And as long as I'm your mother, this is the way it's going to be. And you just have to accept it. As long as you're my daughter, this is how it is. It's an opportunity. It's a teaching moment to tell them how it, the facts of life here. Okay. But then <clears throat> you need to be on the phone with, with Penelope's mother and saying, look, <clears throat> we need to get together and talk about this because there's a conflict that's being raised here, and we need to try to talk this through if we possibly can. We need to support each other to work together on this. The moms really need not to be working at variance with each other and against each other. They need to be working together to <clears throat> form a sense of modesty in their daughters. The younger girls, that can be done more easily with, than with the older girls who might have already gotten very much... <clears throat> more and more out of the family, more and more with their peer group, more and more drawn in, even though you've raised them with a sense of modesty, they're getting more and more drawn in now. <clears throat> and they see their friends, and they like their friends, and their friends dress a certain way, their friends talk a certain way, their friends act a certain way. <clears throat> and their standards are beginning to slip, your own daughters. And so they've liberalized, and they've gone the way of all flesh, unfortunately, in this. And how do you draw them back? Well, this uh, lady, this, this dear soul who asked this question, is in a situation where she fears being too demanding of her older daughters because she fears she'll destroy their relationship with each other. And it's very hard, once the barn door is open and the horse is out of the barn, to get them all back in the barn or get the toothpaste back in the tube. Once you've allowed them to go a certain path, way down that path of immodesty, how do you suddenly say, hey, for the last three years we've let you do this and we were wrong, and now we have to insist that you change your wardrobe, throw away the things that you've been wearing all these last three years. <clears throat> we're going to take you out on a shopping uh, expedition to buy all new modest clothing, and you're going to have to change all of that, all your friends. That's very hard to retrieve the situation after that. <clears throat> but that's where you really have to be able to sit down with your daughters and have such a close relationship with them and have <clears throat> such a love for them and, on their part, a respect for you that you can talk to them. They will listen to you. They do care about what you think. They do care, even if they don't agree and they don't see your point. If they see it's important to you and that you feel responsible for this and they're wounding you for this, they will not want to wound you if they love you. And they will at least try to begin to think about the eventuality of hopefully making a beginning to accommodate your wishes. In other words, you will be, you'll be winning them back. And it might not happen overnight, but you'll be winning them back by now giving them an understanding that they might not have had before. And that is rekindling in them or giving them for the first time the sense of modesty that they either never had 
or that they had and you see them losing. You're trying to rekindle that sense of modesty in them that is being stolen from them, essentially, by their relationships and trying to get along with others. And uh, that's hard to do. But behind all of that, you have to pray. You have to pray seriously. Obviously, as a given, you have to speak words of wisdom to them in a loving way, in a gentle and a very firm way. Not making it a contest of wills, but a matter of love. Their love for you and your common love for God. That's how all of this has to be couched in those terms. And um, you need to set the example for them of modesty. And um, what you buy for yourself, what you'll allow yourself to wear. And even how you react to what others wear around you and your daughter. You need, to con- you need to set that example for them, how they should be thinking. And, of course, you need, as I say, to pray very hard, sacrifice, receive the sacraments for your children, that they will have the internal graces from God necessary to enable them to take the external graces of your words and your good example and to take them in the right way, to understand them in the right way, and to put them into practice in their own lives. These are absolutely indispensable. Well, in any case, uh, hopefully uh, in the very near future, we'll get back to the remainder of these questions, and I invite you to pose questions of your own as well. We've received quite a few questions. Actually, it's kind of interesting. When we send word out asking you to send us questions, we might get an isolated question from individuals, but then from certain individuals, we'll get pages of questions. Pages. And we can't possibly answer them all in just a handful of uh, video presentations, but we are working on it, and we do have the intention to respond to all of the questions you send. Um, assuming that um, the last judgment uh, doesn't come too soon, we'll, we'll be able to get to the all. And you are patient. May God bless you all, and uh, I'll talk to you again next time about what remains here on the sheet and other questions you send in. Good night.